Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious, gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain works and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your, on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of God. You may be seated. All right, what a, what a good morning. What, what a celebration. You guys were loud during worship, and I, I feel it too. Every Sunday we get to baptize somebody, it, it just fills us with so much encouragement um, and so much trust in the Lord, and, and we just get to, to celebrate that. Um, one thing that I do want to mention is that if you have become a Christian recently and you've not been baptized, please come talk to either me or Brian after our gathering today. We'd love to talk to you more about that uh, and see if, if now's the time. Uh, we've got a whole um, other set of baptisms next week. And if we just need to keep that thing filled up and warm, then we'll just do it. We'll empty it and then fill it back up, but we'll just keep it warm for you. Um, so, so please do let us know. Um, and church, like I said, this is a memorial. Baptism is both a proclamation for the one being baptized, but it's also a memorial for the church. It's an opportunity for us to just slow down, to remember God's past mercy so that we can trust in his future grace. Um, because we need God's grace, we need God's mercy. And I, I've gone back and forth on how to start this conversation. So I'm just gonna jump into it. We have different needs. Sometimes we confuse our wants and our desires for needs. So that's important for us to, to have um, an understanding of. But, but when I ask you, what do you need? What comes to mind? What do you need? Now, we all know who the Boy Scouts are because they probably mumbled next to you, shelter, water, fire. <laughs> and those are needs. Those are bodily needs. Thank you for that. Where would we be without the Boy Scouts? Um, we are talking about bodily needs, but also we are talking about soul needs. What do you need? Jesus, that's right. Sunday school answer, it applies. Well, let's understand what we don't need. We don't need Amazon Prime. I need to tell myself that. Um, we also don't need insurance or savings accounts. Not that those things don't matter. What we need is a new identity in our creator, right? What we need is a new sense of, of who we are. We need new hearts. We need new desires. We don't need a new president. 
We need salvation and restoration of our souls. Okay, I'm glad you agree. But here's my worry. Because I, I, what I catch in myself is that all too often I agree without slowing down to pause and, and consider, do I believe? Agreeing is not believing. We can agree, I think you and I both agree what's in Scripture, but we need to believe it. And the difference there is when we just say, yeah, that's right, amen to that. That's agreeing. Believing is something we're going to stake our lives on. Something that, that we'll, be, we'll be willing to give up our bodily needs to find our soul needs met. And so I, this, this conversation of soul needs versus bodily needs, these aren't two really competing things, but one thing I do want to point out, and this is going to help clarify some, some directions that we're going. God prioritizes the spiritual over the physical. Now, he cares about the physical. He still cares about your insurance, and he still cares about your savings account, and he cares about who's president. But sometimes he strips away our ability to have those bodily needs met in order to point out that we're not coming to him for our soul needs. And Psalm 4 is going to help us understand that. And what Psalm 4 does is it, it reminds us of God's past mercy. It encourages us with God's past mercies so that we would hope in the promise of God's future mercy, future grace to meet our present needs. Now, I want to, I want to do, I, I do want to draw one distinction. Here's, here's how we can tell the difference because we're, we're going to go into our, our week and you're no different of a Christian there than you are here. And so there's a little bit of discernment that, that we need to have when we're trying to understand what our soul needs are versus our bodily needs. Our bodily needs, we can find met here. God meets them. It's a common grace that he meets our bodily needs. But our soul needs are the things we can't do for ourselves. If it's something you can do yourself or pay someone to do for you, it's not a soul need, which means you can do without it which means you can have joy and peace and patience and kindness without whatever it is that you can do or pay someone to do for you, okay? We need to have those two things categorized well, not because um, we're, gonna, we're gonna throw one out. There's actually a false gospel that preaches if we just neglect the bodily needs, then our spiritual needs will be met, and that's a false gospel, Here's, here's where we're going with Psalm 4. Psalm 4 encourages us to remember God's past mercies as we pray, hope, and wait for God's future grace. God's past mercies promise future grace for our present needs. That's, that's the thing I want you thinking about this week as you reread Psalm 4. God's past mercies promise future grace for our present need. And just like our hymns, our favorite hymns, doxology, come thou fount, oh holy night. I wish we could sing that that's not just Christmas time. I would be crying every Sunday. Just like our favorite hymns, 
Psalm 4 was a part of the worship liturgy of Israel. And it was repeated as one of their worship songs so that Israel would be pointed back to remember God meets our every need. We don't, we don't need a new king. I don't actually know what I need. I can't chase my desires and have my needs met there. God meets our needs. And what we really most desperately need is a new heart. It's that inner self that we need to be made new. Um, there's a really cool structure to Psalm 4 that I want to talk about, and, and we're going to talk quickly about this, um, and then we're just going to walk through the psalm. It's going to, I have to talk about this because uh, it, we're going to start in the middle. This is called chiastic structure, C-H-I-A-S-T-I-C, chiastic structure. Um, this, this is going to help us pinpoint why Psalm 4 why the Holy Spirit put Psalm 4 in our Bibles. Chiastic structure. Um, it's kind of like a bullseye or an arrow. Um, what you see is that the, the very beginning and the very end create this envelope, um, and, and they envelope the whole text. And then the, the verse pairs, like we've seen in the past, in the last couple of Psalms, are next to each other. In chiastic structure, they're not next to each other, but they're opposing the middle. And so we see verse 1 and 8 are verse pairs, and then we see um, these sections, verses 2 and 3, and verses 6 and 7 are verse pairs, and that all points to the very middle. And so as you're singing this psalm, what you're doing is you're coming into the meaning and you're flowing out of the meaning. That's pretty cool. I can't do that in preaching. A 30, 35-minute sermon doesn't make sense that way. But singing a song in 45 seconds, it, it makes a lot more sense. And so this would be repeated and you would feel that rhythm of coming in and out of the meaning. And so what we see in verses four and five is that the real problem of sin, the real problem of human brokenness, it's not that we don't have our mindset right. It's not that we need better wisdom. If we could just fix our knowledge, then we'll be okay. No, it's not even that our desires aren't being met. If I could just meet this thing that I want, if I could just find fulfillment in this relationship, in this security, in this political leader. So our, our wisdom and our desires are not what's ultimately broken in us. It's, it's our heart's. And when Psalm 4 uses that word heart and the rest of the Bible uses this word heart, it means our inner self. It means this thing that actually is the source of our wisdom and our desires. So we can fix our wisdom and our desires, but they're going to get broke again unless our hearts, our inner self is repaired and made new. And so Psalm 4 is pointing towards this meaning that it's our, our hearts that really need to be made new. And so the structure of Psalm 4 points to that primary message, but we start Psalm, one, Psalm 4 with verse 1. Um, Psalm 4 starts with looking back. If we can remember God's past mercy to meet 
our soul needs to, to make us new, to, to fix our broken hearts, then we're going to remember that he's going to keep doing it and he's going to do it ultimately in the fulfillment of his covenant promise. Um, but the primary message of Psalm 4 being in verse 4 and 5, that's where we're going to start. So read with me Psalm 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. That phrase, we already talked about heart, right? It's the inner self. That phrase, um, ponder in your own heart, if, it, if we translate it literally to the Hebrew, uh, it, it says commune with your heart. So commune with your heart in your bed and be silent. And you see something like this repeated throughout scripture, be still and know that I'm God, things like that. We see the word selah in these Psalms. It's this, this intentional moment of pause. But it says, ponder in your own heart, commune with your heart. And what that's asking you to do is interrogate yourself. Just shut out the distractions for a second and look at yourself. Look at your desires. Look at your wisdom. Look at your life and consider. And then, it, but right before it says to ponder your own hearts, it says, be angry and do not sin. Now, there's nothing wrong with this translation. Be angry and do not sin. But I want to I pull out what it means when it's saying be angry because it's not saying um, hey, you have permission to be angry sometimes, just don't sin when you're angry. This isn't like a biblical counseling thing right here in Psalm 4. What this is, is it's saying, be uneasy about what you find when you interrogate yourself. Be unsettled. My favorite word that I found in studying was be perturbed. I forgot that word existed. That's a good word, isn't it? Be perturbed. Look at your heart and be perturbed at yourself. But don't sin. So that means a lot of things. Don't shame yourself. Don't um, act out of that emotion. So that's where the biblical counseling portion does come in. Be angry and don't sin. Here's why it says that because our hearts are broken. And when we use them, to, our broken hearts, to influence our lives, to, that's what we make decisions from. We sin. And so how do we stop doing that? When we recognize our need, and then we try to use our own wisdom or follow our own desires without first turning to the real source of the problem, our, the, that inner self that's broken, if we don't go there first, we're going to act out of those broken wisdom and desires and we're going to sin. So be angry, be perturbed, don't sin, ponder in your own hearts and be silent. Can you believe that scripture is telling you to look at yourself and not like what you find? Can you believe that? It does. Scripture must know something we don't know about ourselves. So we should listen. We should turn to God's wisdom. And we should see that from Psalm 4, our hearts are broken. We need a new one. 
And so when we find this information out, when we learn from Scripture what, what we can't learn by ourselves, what do we do? How do we respond? Verse 5 has the answer. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Um, we can really quickly and easily jump straight to Jesus here, and that's good. That's where Jesus is. Where, where the center of our need is in Psalm 4 is where the center of the gospel is. But what verse 5 is saying first, because it was first written to Israel before Jesus came. So Psalm 4 wasn't first preaching Jesus to Israel. What it was doing is that it's telling them to stop looking everywhere else to have their bodily needs met, but to first turn to God because he's already made a way. They had this Old Testament sacrificial system that God gave to Israel to say, hey, you're not gonna be able to fix your heart problem, so you're gonna keep sinning. So that you know and live just steeped in the blood of the sacrifices, I want you to kill an animal every time you sin. It was meant to remind Israel that only God can forgive them. That whatever is inside them that keeps making them kill these animals, they can't fix it. Only God can fix that. But what they did was such a human thing. We do this too. They took what was meant to bring them closer to God, to know him more, to know themselves more, to see him more clearly. They took this very intentional and relational thing and they made it cold and transactional. Does that sound familiar? And I know you're not nodding about the person next to you. I know that as we look into our own hearts and we're perturbed, we see we make Jesus cold and transactional for ourselves. And so um, there, there, there wasn't a problem with the sacrificial system, but also the sacrificial system wasn't plan A as if Jesus was the backup. The sacrificial system was pointing to a, a, the bigger need that yes, you need a sacrifice, but you need one that lasts forever. Your brokenness is so big, one animal, 10 animals, a million animals isn't gonna do it. And by the way, God owns the animals. He doesn't need his stuff back from you. Pastor Dane Ortland says this um, shorter and better. So I'm going to read his stuff. The sacrifices are misused to appease God are already God's. We can never benefit God. He can only benefit us. God does not want empty ritual. He wants our hearts. God does not ask us to give him gifts. He asks us to give him ourselves. Most of all, he wants us to honor him simply by crying out for help. The sacrificial system was meant to show us the, the depth of our need for God to fix us ultimately. So then Jesus came to be verse five, to fix verse four. Jesus became the right sacrifice to put an end to all the sacrifices, Hebrews 10, so that verse four would be repaired. 
that now when we sit on our beds and we look inward at ourselves and realize my heart is broken, my wisdom and my desires are broken because what's really deep down in me is broken and in need. Now we have a place to turn. There's not this repetitive sacrifice that we have to do. We just, we get to trust that God already made a way and that way is forever. So, God's past mercies promise future grace for our present need. Let's look at verse one now to consider God's past mercy. Um, it's really, we've already walked through God's past mercy as Jesus being the fulfillment, right? Um, let's read verse one before I say any more. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. That's it. That's the thing. O God of my righteousness, you have given me relief when I was in distress. You've done it before. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. I need your future grace. Um, verse one is emphasizing for us the need to remember the, the, the right sacrifice that was given to us in Christ. Because Christ became our righteousness. Another way to say this, you'll probably see if you have another translation. Um, it says, answer me when I call, O God who vindicates me, O God who makes me right. It's a proclamation of judgment that, that whatever you've done, I've set it aside and you're free. It, that's a soul need because you can't do that for yourself. A few years ago, um, I was on staff at our sending church in Abilene and our pastors had started uh, walking us through some more um, in-depth and practical things with prayer and helping us understand the meaning of prayer. And one of the ways they did this was they led us through a book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Um, Amazon Prime will get you that book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. You're going to want to read it. Um, and in this book, he encourages the readers to journal in several ways, but in one way in particular, is to look back on the last six months or the last year and to reflect on all the things that you've prayed about. And then, and then pray and ask God to help you remember how he's answered them. So as you look back on the last six months, on the last year, if, some of us have to go back even further to feel like that's when we had a prayer answered. Some of us can't remember that far back, so just start at a few weeks and just keep going. The reason this is important is because you can't be encouraged by what you don't remember. You can't be encouraged by, by what you've just let be written in the history books. Your text thread keeps it. I don't need it. It'll delete it in a year, so be careful. You can't be encouraged by what you don't remember. So if you're feeling discouraged, if you feel like you need some encouragement from the Lord, you need some encouragement for your soul to remember his past mercy, write it down. Think back over the last few months, the last six months or a year, and then ask him, God, will you help me? Will you help me know how you've answered these? Ultimately, um, like we said, we're encouraged by verse one that God is our righteousness. That God gives us this thing we can't get for ourselves. 
and making us right before him. And so when we deserve to be emptied and thrown out, when we deserve to be the ones sacrificed on the altar for our own sin, when, when we deserve um, to, to be exposed, not vindicated, God sends his right sacrifice to fill up what's lacking in us, to complete what's incomplete. Not, not just to say, oh yeah, your sin, no big deal. That's, that's not important. But to say, I'll die for that. What'd you do for any of that? Nothing. That is God's past mercy that offers future grace for every need. Verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Um, so we're, we're pretty sure that David wrote this psalm. David was king at the time. And if you remember the story from Psalm 3, it's likely that that story of David's son trying to run him off and take his throne um, is the, the backdrop for this. Now, why that's important is because Israel had abandoned David and had put their trust in David's son Absalom to be their new king. They thought, well, David's not meeting our needs. David's not doing this thing we want. Absalom said he will. So God, would you shine your face on us? This is a, a reference to number six, uh, 24 and 25, when God, through Aaron, the 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 priestly line who would do these sacrifices, that's not an accident that they're quoting a priestly sacrificial blessing. Through Aaron, God, God said, bless the people this way. And, and part of that, you can find it in number six, part of that is that God would shine the light of his face. And that the guarantee there is that God's grace and mercy would give them, every, meet every need would provide for them, give them prosperity and blessing, not only for what the physical needs that they had, their bodily needs, but their soul needs. So here's what Israel's not doing in verse two. Just gotta make sure I'm in verse two still. Israel's not saying, God, we worship you. We trust you to meet our every need. They're saying, God, I know you chose King David, but we wanna redo. What's the, what's the exchange date on this? Because we need a new king. He's not doing it for us. They want what God's promised, but they want it their way. But also, remember, our, our soul needs and our bodily needs don't compete with each other, but sometimes God, God shows us our soul needs by removing our ability to meet our own bodily needs. So they weren't trusting in God. They were, they were upset with him for not giving them the thing they wanted, even meeting needs that they had, but they had put their hope in those needs. Um, and so what do we do in this, this, psalm, this psalm 4, verse 2, when we find ourselves doing the same thing? When we think, we look at our lives, we interrogate ourselves, and we're like, you know what? My needs aren't being met. Our instinct then, right, is to use our own wisdom. Man, inflation is hitting. And it's so easy for me to remember, okay, my kids got to be fed. 
I have bills to pay. I cannot let that bank account go negative. And so it just is easy to swipe the credit card a few more times, to turn to somebody to ask for help, maybe get a side hustle, start doing a few more things to get some money. Now, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong and bad with those, but my instinct in that moment is not to pray, is not to say, God, my physical needs really show me my spiritual needs. I need you way more than I thought I did. Now, here's what doesn't happen. Just because you pray, God's not gonna drop 10 grand on your doorstep. He may let your bills go unpaid because his priority is a soul need being met. But he does also promise to meet our bodily needs. He does also promise that he cares about what we care about. He does also promise that for his people, he will feed his children and their children, and their children. And so let us turn to God in prayer to to find wisdom, to use his strategy, not ours, for how we look to get our needs met. Um, Paul Miller, the author of the book, I told you to, to Amazon Prime, but later, A Praying Life, Here's a quote from that book. He says, self-will and prayer are both ways of getting things done. At the center of self-will, the way I think the world needs to run, the way I think I need to be doing things, at the center of self-will is me carving a world in my image. But at the center of prayer is God carving me in his son's image. We We can get things done but we should pray. And that, that's all good and well for like getting our bodily needs met. And even when we have some soul needs that, that we're aware of and we look back, we're like, thank you God for meeting those things. But what about that lingering sin that just keeps on coming back? What about the, the addiction that we can't find freedom from. That we, man, we haven't done it in a while, but I just don't know if I actually am free. What about when there's someone that we love that has these same soul needs that we can't meet? What do you do? We can't agree. We have to believe that God's past mercy promises future grace for our present need. We can't, we can't just agree. We have to believe that we cannot Bible study our way to purity. We cannot rehab our way to true freedom. And we cannot argue anyone into salvation. But we turn to God. We first find dependence in him, and we pray. God's past mercy promised future grace for our present need. Verse six, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. I already said this one. I referenced that one when I referenced verse two. See how they work together? 
This is the number six reference, this lift up the light of your face upon us. Um, It's saying the same thing. We want a new king, right? They're shaming David. They're saying this guy's spent. He's a has-been. He's washed up. We don't need him anymore. We need a new king who will bring your blessing to Israel, just like you promised. I want your stuff how I want it. Um, Now, in James 3, James 3 tells us what happens when we chase our desires. James 3 tells us, let's see what verses, it's the, the paragraph is verse 13 through 18, but the quote really that I'm hitting on is, is at the end of that paragraph. It says that when we use, um, when we chase our desires, when we use human wisdom to, to chase our desires, there's going to be every disorder and evil, vile practice. But wisdom from above produces a harvest of righteousness. There's that word coming back. James 1 says too, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire, by the way he thinks he should meet his own needs. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. So it's, it's not that the plans we make are twisted and broken and evil. They may be. But we can probably reason and function like, no, that was, that was a good thing. Even our desires. It's not that the things we desire are broken. But when we realize that, that we have broken wisdom and broken desires because our heart is broken, then we, then we understand we take God's things that he called very good and we twist them and we make them dark because we make them self-serving. And then we become greedy for more. Be angry and do not sin. Be perturbed by what you find inside. Verse seven teaches us to pray. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. God, please reveal our broken desires. Reveal uh, how we really just want your stuff. And that even though we just want your stuff, you still give us more of yourself and you still train our hearts to long for you. Would you give us more of that, God? God, would you give us the faith that your past mercies do in fact promise future grace to meet our every present need? We need new wisdom. We need new desires. But just getting those isn't gonna fix our problems. We need a new heart. We need a new inner self. God's future grace is that he knows and meets every real need today, tomorrow, forever. But God's future grace is also eternal rest for our souls. We just saw it twice. The reason we baptize is to identify with Christ's death and identify with his resurrection. That the hope for the Christian is that we will have eternal rest and restoration for our souls. Doesn't that sound good? I'm tired. We are promised eternal rest. In verse eight, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. God's past mercies promise future grace for our present need. Band, you can make your way back up. I wanna point out that... um, 
Baptism and communion serve a similar purpose. Baptism and communion are this proclamation of God's past mercy and future grace to make us new. That, that we, don't, we don't belong to ourselves. We couldn't pay for ourselves. We can't make ourselves right. We are not our own righteousness. But that God sent his son Jesus to become verse five, to become our right sacrifice to fix verse four, this broken heart within us. And so we take communion, we eat and we rest because God has already made a way for every soul need and every bodily need to be met in Christ Jesus. For those of us who believe, we take the bread We take the cup representing the body and blood of Christ broken and poured out for us. And we do this, we proclaim his death until he comes back for us and he will come back for us. Would you please join me at the table?